summer. It's a busy time of year for many, with school holidays, festive celebrations, beaches, cricket, barbecues, pools, the list goes on. And if you're listening to this podcast, it's highly likely that you know summer to be a very important time of year for the sheep management calendar. You're listening to The Yarn, the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Ellie Bigwood. There's a lot on the minds of wool growers over summer. For many producers, there's sheep on stubbles, there's rams and ewes to prepare for joining, growing weaners to feed, parasite risks to manage, and it takes good management of all of the above and more to set yourself up well for the new calendar year. Dr Tim Gole is a veterinarian and sheep consultant from For Flock's Sake, which is a nice mouthful, and he caught up with AWI's Emily King to talk through practical management advice for wool growers over the coming summer months. I wanted to chat to you a bit today, Tim, with a lot of people around Australia uh, running an autumn joining program. It's prime time at the moment to do your RAM pre-joining checks. Yeah, that's exactly right. We've got an opportunity to take care of the controllables in our operating system. And one of the big controllables we have is our RAMs and how fit they are for active duty, if you want to frame it like that. So pre-joining checks really should happen eight to 12 weeks prior to joining. You know, the semen cycle. So if that's from the kind of tiny microsperm to being goods ready to deliver is about six weeks. So anything we do to the RAM, we want to make sure that we give them a good semen cycle, things like vaccinating, uh, shearing, anything that affects the ram will affect the testicles and test semen function. So what we really want to do is make sure we give them a full semen cycle so that they're not stressed and the goods that are there on game day are adequate and will, you know, get the job done. In terms of just a general health check, what would you be looking for? So you mentioned shearing uh, and vaccination. Anything Mm -hmm. else you'd be looking for at that point? A really well-known vet saying is you miss more by not looking than not knowing. And I think that's a really key thing with RAM exams. And they're really the big things to look for. And they're quite simple, you know, the four T's, which is teeth, testes, toes, and tackle. You'd be surprised how many things you find just by looking, you know, broken mouths, bad feet, you know, testicular abnormalities. They're just really simple things. And if we do that RAM exam eight, 12 weeks before, then we've got plenty of time. If we find out we're a bit lacking, we've got time to source genetics that really suits our operation and can get it done. So to optimise joining, it's really important to have both ewes in really tip-top condition, but also having the rams in a great condition score to go out for joining. What condition score would you recommend for your rams to make sure they're fit, not fat? Yeah, great. Really good question because I think about optimising repro performance and I'm always thinking about condition scores three and that's for our use. But our rams, I think the best best outcomes are when we get our rams above three and, you know, 3.5 is really the target you want to be hitting. Why that's important is that gives them enough fuel in the system because they've got to go hard and fast they've only got a five-week joining typically to get it all done so they need to have a lot of nutrition on board but also to get to 3.5 you know you've managed nutrition pre-joining really really well because a lot of that nutrition pre-joining will help set up the semen cycle and help really kind of set the platform from really good joining for rams and speaking about semen cycle uh, and filling up the tank ready to go what scrotal circumference are we aiming for you know, what we know is that scrotal circumference gives us an idea about scrotal volume, which really is a measure of the how much fuel's in the tank. So 
Bigger is generally better. Um, as a minimum, we'd probably look at 28 centimeters for a pocket ram, but anyone over, we really wanna be hitting 30, 32 centimeters, which is kind of, if you imagine two beer cans, that's the circumference, put the beer cans together, that's the circumference we really gotta be hitting um, to have adequate fuel tanks for our boys. Something we've been hearing a bit more about around the traps, and Tim, I'd be interested in seeing if you've been hearing a bit about this as well, is ovine brucellosis. Bruso is actually a bigger problem, I think, everyone realizes and there's so much of it out there so in a crash course brucellosis it's a bug it sets up camp in the testes and generally just causes severe damage to the testes but also creates roadblocks in the epididymis which is kind of the transport or the highway from the testes out the penis what it does is it causes subfertility or infertility in our rams where we see it is that typically people who get brucellosis problems don't experience a crash in year one, but it's really year two and year three when a great proportion of rams have it, that's when you have the real chaos. And actually, you know, I was talking to a client um, out at Cooler and, and they told me the exact same story and it really cost them a lot. But the great thing about brucellosis, if you can say that, is that the infections cause significant lesions or lumps on the testicles and with a little bit of practice, you can really feel these quite obviously. So in my mind, I think that a pre-joining RAM exam is actually a really nice, easy Brusso screen because you can feel the testes. And if you feel any lumps or bumps that you know straight away, we need to get a vet involved because like every disease out there, prevention's better than cure. And if you're not confident in doing pre-joining RAM checks yourself, most vets would be quite happy to come out and run you through a bit of a crash course or do the job for you if you want. Definitely, 100%. Vets are so heavily involved in the cattle industry in bull breeding soundness and valuations. And I think it should be in the RAM joining calendar as well. It's a great opportunity to get a bit of science on farm, help you to kind of decide you know, who's who in the zoo, and if there is problems, what the likely outcomes would be. And there's a lot of other benefits by getting, you know, your vet out once a year on farm. And there's also one other way that people can get a bit more experience and a bit of hands-on uh, with doing pre-joining ramp checks, and that is to head along to a Ramping Up Repro workshop. Tim, you're one of the deliverers uh, based in New South Wales, but there are people all around Australia who can deliver that for you. So definitely chat to one of the AWI Grower Extension Networks if you'd like to head along to one of those, or you might want to host one at your own place. And then you can get someone like Tim out to have a look. Yeah, I tell you what, the Ramping Up Repro, I've had some really good success stories from producers who've gone and implemented for the first time ever um, pre-joining RAM exams and actually found a lot of problems that they had no idea. Remember, you miss more by not looking than not knowing. And they've really kind of identified some, you know, some just a couple of percenters here, a couple of percenters there. But by going and learning a little bit more and, and putting that into their calendar really made some good gains and prevented, I think, some solid losses too. Absolutely. Tim, you've done all that work. You've checked your ends. They've gone out. How important is pregnancy scanning for understanding the potential for your flock? Emily, I think scanning is probably one of the most fundamental tools you can use in a sheep production system. Step one is how successful has um, joining been. Um, step two is, well, what's our potential yield? Now, we know that 
Um, our twinners are gonna need more feed. We know that mob size, it makes a big difference to lamb survivability. You know, so scanning gives us all that data so we can start allocating resources appropriately. The one of the big things in my mind about um, scanning and scanning for twins, I think, is where the real value is. Timing of scanning is so important to hit that accuracy. My rough rule of thumb is 90 days from the, when the ram goes in. So that's the real, not when the rams come out, when the rams go in. Some scanners will have a little bit of a variant on that, but like I said, the day the rams go in, send the text to your scan and say, my rams are going in, what date are we going to book scanning in? Because it was such a fundamental part of your production system. It's really important to be able to identify your twins, but also being able to identify the dries as well. So you're not wasting money feeding a dry you a twin ration. Oh, that's exactly right. The difference between a twin bearing you and a dry you is like you're really significant. Like you can almost probably be double by the time you you know kick off into early lactation. Well, it would be double, you know. So why are we spending money on those ewes that haven't been able to bring the goods? Identifying those ewes, make sure we don't put you know bad money after bad money in terms of feeding them. Now you've gone to all that effort to get the rams out there the user in good nick you've had a great lambing which translates usually through to a great weaning percentage so now that you've got lots and lots of little fellas running around on the ground what are we going to do about those guys weaners are really the high need group in your operation and weaning right is so important the key things are one we've got to get our target weaning weight which is 45 percent of our used standard reference weight but once we're there you know, we can't take a foot off the accelerator at all because merino weaners really need to have a good growth from there. It's just like a lot of the messages in lifetime ewe management is that we set them up in that period for a lot of lifetime of production. It's really important, you know, to try and hit that target weaning weight. So if you don't hit that target weaning weight, what would you be recommending people do? Uh, just because, you know, life got in the road of a great plan and, you know, who hasn't had that happen to them? When we wean, as long as we get really good growth from our weaners, we can still wean below that target weaning weight. And as long as we're helping them push through the kind of the pain barrier, so really growth rate for the small weaners is so important. And identifying the higher need weaners, which would be your tail, your bottom 25%, because that's where a lot of the losses are incurring. So focusing, identifying that group and really kind of helping them with adequate energy, but also importantly, protein, takes them across the line and mitigates all those losses. A lot of people at the moment will have weaners and, you know, we're coming into summer and for a lot of people, whether you're in a summer rainfall area or a winter rainfall area, how important is it to pay attention to your weaners over summer and not just have too many shandies at Christmas and let them idle through that festive season? Chance forever are prepared, I think. So you really got to have a bit of a plan in your head. Helping those weaners grow is so important to them. You can wean at a really great weight but if you don't manage that process well and they start losing weight we can undo all those good things and run into a lot of health dramas so i think you know do some feed budgeting and understand what their needs are because remember weaners have got a different protein need than our adult sheep because they've got to grow as well understanding that and feed budgeting and kind of looking forward to seeing well what are the problems and how am i going to meet those needs for protein and energy 
there are a lot of people that you can engage to come and help with a bit of feed budgeting and that sort of thing for your wieners and for the rest of your flock as well, of course. But there's also some great resources available at wool.com forward slash weaning. And in another plug, Tim, for your delivery services, (laughs) Winning with Wieners workshop. So again, Tim's one of a number of deliverers from right around Australia doing Winning with Wieners. What have you found great about delivering the Winning with Wieners workshop and what do you find that most of the participants take from it? I think a lot of the participants take just understanding the real needs of those wieners and how it's just not as obvious about protein and energy and how they interrelate together because I always have like the analogy that protein and energy for a wiener is like shearers and stands at a shearing shed. If you've got more shearers than stands, you can't shear any more sheep. And the same on the other way, if you've got more stands than shearers, then you can't really maximize production. Energy and protein fit the same kind of thing. Too much protein, not enough energy, we're not growing the way we want. Too much energy, not enough protein, you know, the, the other case is true. And we really need both of those to match because our, as our growth rate increases, protein and energy needs to increase in proportion as well. Mm. And as those wieners grow through life, their protein demands will reduce, but their protein demands are much higher than that of a grown sheep for a fair while. Oh, that's exactly right. You know, we're really, once we're in the, the 20 kilo mark and from there up to 30 and below, we're really got to think about protein for these animals because that sets them up. They need protein for building, you know, the muscles and the frame and protein for the immune system. Like they've got a lot of challenges coming up. Remember, wieners are a high risk group for worms and flies. So they really got to have their immune systems in tip-top space and and you know if we are going to have a really wet summer and that's the indications we're seeing you know flies and worms are going to be our little guys are going to get challenged and we need to give them everything possible you know put the bullets in the immune system machine gun Hmm. moving on then into animal health for those people who are experiencing a fairly wet summer at the moment i guess let's start with worms what would your suggestions be, you know, for as much prevention as absolutely possible? I'm a big believer in, you know, using faecal egg counting and using it regularly to understand what challenges are out there and, and when do we have to pull the trigger as well. And how would someone, if they've never done it before, do a faecal egg count? Faecal egg counting is dead, dead easy to do. And there's plenty of resources out there, you know, if you just Google faecal egg counting um, in sheep, it all it takes is just holding some animals on water or on a corner for a little while and just picking up some fresh samples and just packing it up, sending away to the DPI's lab, um, door butts, there's private labs, um, and just even a, your local vet clinic might be able to advise you and really just get some numbers on what's happening. Because remember, by the time you've got huge barber's pole numbers, for, for an example, it's like the tip of the iceberg and you'll have all these kind of production losses that'll be occurring below the surface and that will be costing you a lot of money. And it's likely if we do have a very wet summer that we are also going to run into fly issues. And of course, there are a zillion different strategies that people can use, for example, shearing or chemical applications or the like. But I guess anything you're seeing or any general advice around flies at the moment? I think some general points would be 
using chemical, I suppose, preventive measures um, and treatment of flies. We do have resistance issues coming through, so you've got to be really careful and actually kind of plan that out, making sure that you're not just continually using the same product and we're starting to use integrated pest management. We're starting to use different tactics and tools because some of the chemicals we do have out there, we are seeing problems with. So you just really got to be mindful of what's going on there. The other one, I suppose, that really has become apparent to me recently is just you know the fly problem really being aggressive with that and starting it early it's like a wave and it's a snowball that kind of builds up if you can attack it and keep that snowball as small as possible you keep the fly number as small as possible that means we keep the chance of getting a really big fly wave as small as you know manageable and if there was one class of stock that you'd be checking a bit more carefully in terms of fly strike than any others what would that be Oh, that's really easy, our wieners. Like I talked about before, they're coming into summer, you know, they've got a lot of protein needs, which is a challenge, you know, if nutrition value in your pasture is, is decreasing or they're on stubbles. But also, you know, a lot of wieners haven't been classed out. And so the chance of getting body strike in a wiener um, is significantly higher than a, you know, classed in Merino U. So that's why part of the reason those wieners, we just got to be so careful with them. We've spoken flies and worms, but what other animal health concerns should we be looking out for this summer just a bit of you know even if they're nothing new just a few things that are on your radar with your clients if you have a lot of stubble paddocks and you get a lot of rain you know poisonous plants usually plant poisoning is in my mind happen when the stock are hungry and and it's you know after some really say they're on a stubble paddock and there's a like you know really fresh plants that's a high risk Foot rot's probably on, on the agenda, particularly with people bringing stock in from further afield. So being mindful of your biosecurity, if you are kind of moving stock or buying stock in from different regions, that was always on my hit list. If we don't get a wet summer and it stays a dry summer, you know, pink eye is is up there as well. But I suppose just in general, it's just really flies, worms, and just got to be on the ball because it's, you know, particularly for those wieners, the wheels can fall off pretty quick if we're not careful. While we're looking at stubbles, the nutritional value comes from their spilt grain in the paddock. And I think there's a lot of reports coming through this year of people having had lodged crops and a fair bit of grain left in the paddock. You know, when you're first introducing your sheep onto that paddock, be a bit careful of the acidosis risk there as well. Oh, that's exactly right. You know, the solution to pollution is dilution and just making sure that we don't ever put hungry stock onto those areas where we might run the risk of acidosis but also if there's a lot of grain there and they're coming in fresh out of a just straight pasture we really got to manage that just as everyone experienced the last three years you really got to take animals into grain slowly if there is going to be a lot of grain there and particularly if you've got some ewes who've had you know they've been on the grain diet for the last three years they know exactly what they're doing the chance of getting acidosis in those animals is quite high. So, you know, I suppose inducting those animals onto grain before you put them on stubble paddocks is a good one. But also, you know, just little like tricks of the trade, make sure they go on full. Um, you know, I know Jill Kelly talks heavily about putting them on in the afternoon because they've had their, you know, room and fill by then. So they're not going to guts themselves. But those are all just kind of little ones, um, you know, to be mindful of. A lot of people see their stubbles as a really important part of their summer feed program, but it's really important still to be looking at what is in that paddock and understanding, you know, the nutritional requirements of the sheep you're putting out there and how long that paddock will last and what the feed budgeting is. 
That's exactly right. A stubble paddock without any grain in it is pretty, uh, it's pretty bland. A lot of the stories, I think Jill Kelly tells a story about, you know, feed testing stubble and it comes back, you know, the same as a VB carton, you know, without that energy. So you've got to be really careful that you're meeting the energy needs of, you know, our ewes, but particularly if you're going to join in January and February, we've got to have those girls going forward to really hit that three body condition score because that's where the real optimization is and just making sure like i said before those wieners they need protein and they need energy and if they're just eating cardboard just stubble without any grain on it one they're not growing one they're not setting themselves up their platform for life but also if they start falling in a heap that's when we run into all kinds of you know parasites you know any any of those kind of problems you know they they need to be growing otherwise their immune system just gets hammered you mentioned then getting sheep used to and ready to go onto grain so they don't gut themselves, but there's also a bit of a case whereby pulpy kidney can be an issue with transitioning from either grain over onto rich green feed or going from green feed back to grain. What would you recommend in terms of vaccinations for pulpy kidney? Pulpy kidney is that one that really interesting diseases and you know it's just funny because it's really got nothing to do with the kidneys. It's all about bacterial growth and changes, rapid changes of bacterial growth inside the small intestines. I think of pulpy kidney risks as any time we have a rapidly changing feed, particularly carbohydrates. So, you know, moving on from dry standing pasture onto a stubble paddock with a lot of grain, that represents a a really fast change in the carbohydrate level um, and the feed quality level. When any time this happens, vaccinating against pulpy kidney um, is a really nice easy insurance policy just to make sure we don't have any losses from you know something that's completely preventable and how far in advance of moving those sheep would you start acclimatizing the gut so i start offering a bit of you know maybe if you're going to put them out into a barley stubble start offering a bit of barley in their current paddock Mm -hmm. Uh, and how far before moving them would you do their vaccination if you want to do it properly, I'd do it a couple of weeks. Remember, we can take the rumen up and really dial it up with grain, but you got to go, you know, steady in and let that rumen and the bugs in the rumen acclimatise and then they can really do some really good things with those feet. So I'd go, in my mind, a couple of weeks. And the other one is pulpy kidney. Now, the response to vaccination will depend on if they've been vaccinated before. So if you've never vaccinated before and then given one shot, it's just not really going to work. So you need to make sure that they've had a full course in their lives. And I'd be doing it at least four weeks before putting them out there. Why? Because we know that when we vaccinate an animal or vaccinate ourselves, then we're giving them a bit of a training run on how to fight that disease you know, in the future. And we don't want to give them a training run, then give them game day the next day. It just won't really work. We want to give them plenty of training, let them develop that immunity. So when they go and see the baddies in the real world, they know exactly how what to do and how to beat them. So Tim, you mentioned then a full vaccination program. So I assume from that you're speaking about a primer dose. So for example, at marking, a booster dose, usually at weaning, and then annual lifetime doses for the animal's lifetime. That's exactly right. Without a proper vaccine protocol, you're really not getting the immunity because the first vaccine really just kind of gives them a bit of a, how you going? But it's that second vaccine and that gives them really sets their body up because they've you know, had one training run and then this is the second training run and they know exactly what to do. So when they run into the pathogens or the baddies in the real world, their immune system's ready to go. And then we're protecting our animals 
The other thing I think about, as we've seen, you know, the prices of our livestock and the value of their future production, the cost of vaccination compared to as a risk mitigation or even just to think of it as a insurance policy, the economics really stack up. Like, I think it's hard to argue otherwise. And for those playing along at home who are wondering, you know, if their annual booster shot for their use is enough to take care of that pulpy kidney vax? A good one because pulpy kidney is a real risk when we get a rapidly changing diet. So if you think you're going to experience a rapidly changing diet, play it safe, just vaccinate, um, particularly if it's been a long time, you know, since they've had their annual vaccination. Yeah, so the pulpy kidney part of the vaccine would probably last reliably about three months every january you vaccinate uh, for example and then you know if we've got through to june and you think there's going to be a big challenge coming definitely time to hit them with a half-time booster yeah that's exactly right that's exactly <laughs> i like the analogy this is good <laughs> oranges at yeah, half-time. <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's exactly right that's the kind of the wording and the mindset if they're going to face a heavy challenge or significant challenge, then that's when we need to kind of really give them just a quick tutorial on how to beat pulpy kidney in the field. Very good. Thank you very much for your time today, Tim. Uh, thanks for having me. Dr Tim Gold there, speaking with AWI's Emily King. And they did cover a number of topics in their conversation to which we have a number of resources for. Head to wool.com and search the keywords practical workshops. And the first page of the search results will take you to the Practical Workshops page where there's more information on each ramping up repro, winning with wieners and other workshops. And reiterating what Emily said, get in contact with your state grower network if you're interested in attending or even hosting one of these workshops. If you haven't seen them already, I strongly recommend checking out AWI Changemakers, It's a 10-part video series delivered by leading livestock consultant Nathan Scott centred around sheep production and it demonstrates practical ways that you can adopt the latest research and tools into your business. Episode 3 is on RAM performance management, so reiterating some key messages from today's episode and the latest episode features you condition scoring. So again, in your keyword search on wool.com, type in changemakers It's a very easy way to absorb a lot of practical and relevant information in a five-minute video. And finally, episode 147 of The Yarn is all about managing your rams prior to joining with Dr. Michaela Seal from Genstock. So there is plenty of information out there on wool.com. We'll leave it there for today's episode of The Yarn. We love your company as always. And if you like ours, then please leave a review or get in touch with us if there's a topic you'd like to know more about. Australian Wool Innovation is on Facebook, on Twitter at Wool Innovation and Instagram at Australian Wool. I'm Ellie Bigwood. Thanks for joining us and catch you soon for another yarn.